This is the Accounting Insider Show. So this is another thing that a lot of investors are unaware of. There's got to be an easier way. It's achievable for anyone. It doesn't cost anything to set up a business. Because there are many great ideas out there, but it's the people that make ideas happen. Because once you unlock this formula, you, there's no reason to stop. You just get better and better at it. You just make so much money out of it. Okay, today I've got Andrew Andreev again. Uh, this is a follow-up to episode 31 that we recorded in January 2017. But <laughs> this is part two. Um, now, the feedback that we got from that last podcast was, I was a bit overwhelmed by how many people contacted me and they all wanted to get your number and your details and get you to do some work for them. But everyone, the, the, the recurring theme to all of the comments coming back was they wanted to go deeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, um, it should be Law Insider or change the name, you become the host. <laughs> and I just fade away to the background. But anyway, I've carried on. We've done another 30 episodes since then. Well and truly amazing, overdue, overdue to get you back again. Uh, and we did actually organise one, but then you cancelled because you had the man flu. Ah, right, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, that's, I, I once, said, once a decade man flu. And, and I was so excited. And I felt so let down that day. Could I was actually going to come into that hospital bed <laughs> or to your home. And I thought, you know, you just have to open your mouth and it's just, it just comes out normally. And yet you said, no, 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 I just don't feel up to it. And I said, okay, I can accept that. But anyway, so what I did yesterday in preparation for today was I listened to episode 31 and I've got some questions that I've come up with out of that. Um, but before we get into that, I've, the personal development thing, and I think that this is the, uh, this is on everyone's mind, is you mentioned that um, personal development and reading, self-motivation and self-help books is um, one of your um, uh, interests. Yep. Uh, can you give us what you're currently reading at the oh, moment right, and a couple of books that have changed your life? Now, you might just say one or two, but... Can you elaborate on that? What, what's yeah, going through I, your mind? I hear this question on, on other podcasts that I listen to. So I'm a podcast junkie. Yeah. So at the moment, I'd listen to so Mixergy, a guy called yes. Andrew Warner. Yes, I think um, he's, he's excellent. So he basically interviews. He, he must do two or three interviews a week. Like that's, that's all it's he does. full time Yeah, job. and he just does. He's just brilliant. I mean, and that, it's $8,000 for an advertising slot? Yeah, and he does two per... Two per session, yeah. Yeah, but he sold his business for like $35, $40 million. It was sort of like a direct marketing business. Mm-hmm. So he's, he can talk to people who, you know, with credibility. He's pretty amazing. But he's, I think I've told you about him. He's a New York dude. And he's, the reason I like his interviews is he's really aggressive. Like he doesn't, he just doesn't pull his punches. He just he goes hard. So First question is for turnover. Yeah, yeah. What's your turnover? <laughs> what's yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> so embarrassed. That, that's, after they've, that's after they've told him that they're not going to tell him that but anyway. That's right. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of different podcasts. I guess I've, it's funny cause I've, um, I've just recently got one of those mind map things or I think it's called some sort of, um, bit of software that you can create boards that you can move stuff around in. Um, I think it's called real time board or something like that. Basically you can post notes and like join the notes out stuff. The reason I say that is that I've been trying to get my thoughts clear about the areas of interest in my life. So partly to pass on to my sons and also, for the staff as well as for the development thing. So, you know, there's obviously the work and then, you know, you sort of start with work and then you say, okay, what are the skills that I need to be good at work? So, you know, I need to um, you know, bring in clients. I need to have technical skills. You know, I need to remain healthy. Um, 
and then you know I need to be able to uh, need to be not artistic, but I've got to have some idea about um, aesthetics and that sort of stuff. And then you go, okay, well then with health, where does that go? You know, what sort of there's mental health and it's physical health, and there's sort of health over your lifetime. So you know, when I was younger, I didn't sleep much. Now I'm sort of really deeply into sleep. So you know, you sort of go off on all these. Then you, then you say, well, you need um, interests outside of work. So you know, you sort of go over to there, and then I talk about you know sailing and flying and um, friends and family and then you go to family you know so you basically it's like one of those mind you know those mind map things where mm-hmm. you sort of everything connects and just trying to get a because i've got so many interests that i actually can't i get overwhelmed by them in my head i can't really keep track of what i'm actually interested in so um so that's been that's been a project um and then the other thing is i do i listen to music and i listen to podcasts and books and read books like obsessively all the time um but I'm one of those people who can never tell you, you know, what was the last movie you read? What are you currently watch? What are you currently reading? Because it's just, I don't actually, like the details I tend to filter out. But, you know, coming back to your question, um, I've just read Why We Sleep, which was a book about um, the physiology of sleeping, which is just brilliant. Um, currently reading Super Connector, which is about um, sort of the next level of, uh, from networking. I've read... Um, got into a stream of books about influencing people written by a lot of FBI agents like Caldini, um, The Power of Influence, um, all that sort of stuff. So I sort of think, you know, with work, part of the thing is convincing people, um, you know, whether it be employees or um, clients or suppliers, whatever, you know, um, interacting with people in a really effective way. So it's another sort of sub-skill and there's all these books and stuff about it. Um, I've read a book called Factfulness, which was written by this... Um, guy who he's actually died unfortunately but i think it was norwegian or swiss or something but basically he and his son um wanted to encourage people to make decisions based on fact and not just the news cycle or gut feel and obviously everybody says oh the world's getting you know worse and whatever and he he basically came up with a software system to dive into big data from government agencies and health organizations and stuff like that and to be able to present it on what they call these bubble charts. So he invented the bubble chart um, and showed that the world was, you know, where it was developing and how all of the nations were improving in prosperity and all sort of stuff. So, um, so the book's called Factfulness and it's about making decisions on fact, not on supposition or gut feel or the news cycle. So that sort of rings, rings true. I've just been reading a book called The Longevity Diet, um, which is written by Walter Longro. I think that's how you pronounce his name. We can... Put all these in the show notes, okay. as Tim um, Ferriss would say. But can, can I interrupt for a second? Um, so if you were going to pick up one business book and give it to someone who wanted to be a mini you, uh, what oh, would shit. that book be? What Or what's the first business book that you feel had a massive influence on your life that you read? Is there anything like that or is it a podcast? Or? So probably the book, uh, so Nissan Taleb, which is um, Fooled by Randomness. Um, fooled by randomness. Fooled by randomness. It's a guy, Nissan Taleb's a Lebanese um, uh, trader. He became a trader, so he left Lebanon, um, went to New York, became a trader, um, and he made his what's called, referred to as fuck-off money in the uh, 87 crash. Um, so he supposedly predicted the crash, but he actually didn't. He actually had a sort of a counterintuitive model. Um, and he's the guy who invented the long tail. Uh, yes. Well, not, not the long tail, it was called um, the black swan, the black swan. So he actually wrote a book called The Black Swan because he talks about the black swan in his book, Fooled by Randomness, which is 
I think, a much better book than The Black Swan. The Black Swan was a bit more of a populist-type version of, of, of Fooled by Randomness. Um, and then he wrote um, a book called Anti-Fragility, which is the concept that um, some things are fragile, so when you use them or subject them to stress, they become fragile. Other systems, when you subject them to stress, become stronger, and that's what he coined the term called anti-fragility, and that's something that is sort of a theme both in, in business life for me and also in health and personal life is that you um, exercise, for example, stresses your body and tears your muscles, but it makes you stronger. So it's an anti-fragile activity. Um, eating, eating certain types of foods has the same effect on your metabolism. Um, subjecting your business to certain types of stress makes your business stronger. So um, his academic, uh, he's also just released a current book called Skin in the Game, which really came, I think it came out six months ago. And that's really about um, his view on sort of 2008 and, and the following years that People are making decisions and and taking risks without any skin in the game, and um, so he he felt sort of passionately enough about that to write a book. So, coming back to your question, I think one of the major books that's had an influence on me is is Full by Randomness. Probably before that, though, when I was this is going to sound a bit crazy, but uh, when I was um, I think I was about twelve. And this is this is going to sound like one of those origin stories, which is um, made up, but it's actually true. I got into my dad's library and. Um, he had studied business and he had the full library of Peter Drucker. And so I read a book called The Concept of the Corporation, which was Peter Drucker's um, academic um, treatise, if you like, about um, Sloan, who was the general manager or the CEO of um, General Motors. Um, and then I just really got stuck into Drucker. And um, uh, yeah, so I, I sort of read all of his books around that time. So they were pretty influential on me. Um, He's the the management consultant, if I remember correctly, that the first thing he does when he comes in and gives you advice is keep a timesheet and log your time over the week and then works back from there. Because the, he, he, like I think one of his major mindsets is that we do so many things which are inefficient and waste yeah, our time. Yeah, so, yeah, And then absolutely. he claws it back to yep. just doing those things which are efficient. Yeah, so is, he's, often, he's often quoted, um, one of the things is it's not doing... Uh, it's not. It's, there was something about effectiveness. He wrote a book about. He's actually died. He's. He's. He was. A, he was. He's sort of known as the father of modern management. Yeah. Um. You know, started writing about management before it was a science. Before it was a discipline, if you like. He. He actually created the discipline of of um, academic business management. Um. So it's quite very. You know, fascinating guy. He's written a lot about innovation. Um. You know, so um, he's had a big influence. Um. God, it's just yeah. There's just so many. I mean, I've got. So, I've got like bookshelves of just full of books so when, when you say books you're actually getting hard copies i used to get, well i still get hard copies but i tend to now um, use audible so i think audible, i've okay i might i sort of download maybe i think i could look at my stats here about 40 audible books a year and then out of those i will buy hard copies if i find things that you know like books that really resonate and, and i want to have in sort of a collection that maybe you know kids can read or staff can read and that sort of stuff yeah and i know well, during summer you walk to work. Yep. So you're listening to podcasts. When you find time during your day, you're a very busy guy um, to squeeze in listening to podcasts. Yeah. So it's it's um, so I've got this new sleep regime happening. So I, I get up at five thirty um, and I go to bed at sort of nine nine thirty. Um, walk to work. So I listen. So I've got 
headphones everywhere so people just laugh at how many sets of Bose headphones I've got because I want to have them charged and always leaving them somewhere. So I've got mm-hmm. sort of four or five headsets that I'm leaving around the place. So when I'm walking to work, uh, when I go, I go for a walk at lunchtime or in the afternoon, I encourage the staff to do the same thing for a bit of a refresh. I'll listen then. Um, I you, listen on the aeroplane when I'm flying to Sydney. Are you listening in the shower? No, it's usually when I walk. And then on the weekends, if I go, I usually go and have a coffee in the morning and I'll just walk down with my headphones on and have coffee and walk back and listen to catch up on podcasts or whatever. So I don't know how many hours it'd be, but it's, I just really enjoy it. Just having, okay. just, just listening to you know, bits and pieces. Good. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> so, no, no, when I say good, it's, I was like, I think you've answered that question. Yeah, that yeah. Well, you said you wanted to go deep, so. Yeah, that's, that's really, that's really good. Uh, now, last podcast again, this guy's name came up again and again, Anthony Theo. Yep. Now, I Googled him. I can't find him. It's because it's Theo, F-E-O, oh, not F-E-O. Theo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, could you just tell us what he's doing? What, so like, he's currently in America. He's He actually called me on FaceTime the other day. He's in San Diego. Um, he's working as sort of an in-house counsel over there for a property company um, who's associated with, what's the name of the, the Rich Dad Poor Dad guy? Kawasaki. Kiyosaki. Kiyosaki, yeah. So uh, he's, because he's admitted to practice law in Australia and in the US, in fact, New York, um, California and um, Washington State, um, so he's, he's just reviewing contracts and sort of helping sort of expand their business over there at the moment. That, that uh, sounds yeah. vis- really disappointing for him. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I'm getting at, like, he sounded, he was billing, from what I recall, 11 times his salary. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was a huge influence on you, and yep. now he's, like, in-house counsel for a property group. I mean, surely he's doing something wider than that. Has he got his own little property thing uh, happening? He has side? got, yeah, he has, actually. He's been quite, with the people that he's with, he, okay. he invested with he them after the GFC, and, and he, he's actually done, I think, quite well. Not, Do we know not, what not, sort of car he's driving? Probably no car. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, look, I think the, the thing about Anthony is he's, he doesn't fit any model. You know, he's, um, he's got a great apartment in, in you know, Rush Gutters Bay in Sydney. He's got green cards, so he's flying in and out of, I think he might even have citizenship then, I don't know. But, you know, he's, Flies in and out of the US. He's um, uh, he's a, he's a family guy, so you know um, he, he spends a lot of time with his uh, with his family. He's not married, doesn't have kids, but he's you know his his wider family is really important to him. Um, he's quite religious, so he's a bit of a counterpoint to me. Um, so that's that's a big part of his life. So he's uh, you know that, that's one of the reasons. You know, I think I think diversity is a really important important thing in life and. Um, having a diversity of influences and friends and, you know, even even coming back to books, you know, just just, just being um, you know, radically open-minded. Oh, that's the other guy, Ray Dalio. That's oh, a book yes. that I've just read called Principles, you know, and he, um, so I'm really getting into that. I don't um, like what he says. Why is, it, why well, is that? Well, because – sorry, I've got to explain that a bit more. Um, he, he's got this resonating deep voice when you listen to him in the right, yeah, 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 so yeah. authoritative. yeah. Yeah. Authoritative. Jordan Peterson's another guy I've been listening to a lot. The Twelve Rules for Life. That's a book that's just come out. That's just fantastic. So okay. anyway, we're getting, but, but, but we'll just back to getting, Ray. Sorry, um, <laughs> you've got me started. Now. He, it's going to be a podcast on books. He, uh, he's got this mindset that um, I think it's he doesn't like debt and he thinks there's about to come a property crash and you know like he's he's with his investments he wants you to be really conservative so that you weather the storm when that next big. Um, yeah. crash happens I'm a bit more uh, of a risk taker than that yeah. every time I walk away thinking oh my god I need to get into batten down the hatches mode and I yeah. don't think that that's 
really where we need to be moving forward. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I, I think he's um, so he's an older guy now. So mm. he's re- he's retired from from Bridge Bridgewater, I think Bridgewater Associates. You know, massively successful, billions of dollars. You know, he's a hundreds of millions of dollars of wealth in his own account. Um, so you, I think, you know, once again, you've got to take the perspective of the people that you're listening to. So he's an older guy. He's been very successful. He went broke or you know, he basically sacked everybody except himself um, early on in his career when his business, he took, he made a wrong decision. He called a recession that didn't happen way back. That's my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, your point's, I think your point's valid, you know. So would you would you follow his every word? No. I mean, I think, you know, it's sort of like would – the, the next person who becomes the wealthiest person in the world is not going to follow Buffett's model. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you just learn from these people. Um, and I think that the thing I like about Ray Dalio is that he's written a book about principles, which he said, okay, over my life, I've learned to respect history. I've learned to respect systems. I've learned to follow the pain, all, the, all these different principles. And he's written them down, life principles for, for how to live and, and principles for how to run a business. And um, so, you know, I, I think that's, that's a work that's worthy of studying because, um, you know, it's it's somebody who's been successful, who's who's had setbacks and has taken the time to share it with us. And he doesn't need to, you know, um, he's, he's, he's from a wealth perspective or even just a respect perspective. You know, he's got um, it's the whole business, the business that he created, it's, you know, the people within that respect him a lot. So... Um, so how did we get on to him? What was no, the... Okay. What, what was the that question yeah. as well, moving on. Yeah, because, yeah. Um, now... The law, uh, I, I'm doing a lot of law these days. I think there's a there's a big overlap between accounting and law. Yep. And, uh, you know, I just find that half the questions I'm asked in emails these days are legal questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing I really detest about your profession is the aggro and aggression that all you guys use when you're writing yep. towards each other. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. use it as well. Me. <laughs> I've been on the receiving end. <laughs> Only when your clients are unreasonable. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. Okay. <laughs> um, that being said, and that's sort of more or less everyone's doing it. And But I, I find that whenever I open a letter or an email from a lawyer, you I always sort of have to calm myself down and take, yeah, yeah. Like, take a deep breath. Yeah, and yeah. that once you get through all of the um, accusations and... and um, that sort of stuff then you actually say well what he's actually really saying here is this but having said that it it also there is an element there that you think wow these guys want to shut me down and it's never me it's always my clients but I always feel as I'm running their businesses for them or with them Um, how do you deal with the pressure that's what I'm getting at like do you find that do you find that those Mm. letters do affect you like it builds up over time and it's interesting because um I I think I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but I don't handle conflict well, or haven't handled conflict well. I'm not. I don't like conflict. I like you know. It's just I just think it's it's a waste of energy, and it's. Um, but you're dealing with it every day. Yeah, and I I think I've got better at handling. In fact, I'm more relaxed now than I was 20 years ago, or whenever um, 25 years ago when I started this. Um, I think uh, there was a series. I think it was um, it involved a guy called Diver Dan, who is this character in sea change i don't know if you remember sea change I remember it's about this lady who went who was like a magistrate left left melbourne she was a lawyer or whatever anyway there's this character called diver dan who i sort of started to channel as must have been 10 or 15 years ago when this series came out because i I would get i I just take everything personally so if somebody writes a rude letter to a client and it's just clearly full of crap it i used to yeah i used to my blood used to boil and and i realized that that wasn't an effective way to deal with conflict um, not for the part, not for me sustainably, and 
definitely not for my client. Um, so, and also not for the, the other thing I've sort of come to realise is that I'm living within a community which involves opposing counsel and it involves the person on the other side of the, of the table. So if I'm going to live a nice life, then I need to act in a way that's going to improve the lives of everybody I come into contact with, which includes opposing counsel. It includes the, you know, the person on the other side from my client. So taking that mindset, combining that with Diver Dan, Diver Dan's character was no matter what happens, the more things got out of control, the more, more sort of cool and laid back he'd become. And it's, I recently was in a negotiation for you know, quite, a, quite a large transaction, sort of you know, 30-odd million dollar transaction, and you sort of go into the meeting, there's like 15 lawyers and there's international people or whatever. And the only way you can handle that sort of pressure when you're the guy who's you know, doing the negotiations is to just channel Diver Dan you know, in the sense that I, you, know, you just ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen here? You know what I mean? And who else should be sitting here? And are they going to, would they do a better job? And if so, they're not here. So who cares anyway? Let's just get on with it. And so that's one thing I think. So we didn't do litigation for up until about, so we've been going for 18 years. We probably didn't do litigation for the first 10 years because I just, my blood pressure couldn't handle it. I would just get too, um, take it too personally, you know, particularly when people just write you letters that are just full of, it's just, it's just annoying, right? The whole thing. So we didn't see it as constructive. And then we saw how other people were handling disputes and, and conflict. And I just I love a challenge. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know anything about litigation. I don't know anything about disputes. But I know that it's not being done well. So let's see if we can do it better. And, you know, since then we've, um, we've developed quite a significant disputes practice, if you like. We call it, you know, dispute resolution rather than litigation. But we do – we've had some significant litigation and we've had some significant wins. And I think we do do it in a way that reflects the fact that we want it to be constructive, that we don't want – I don't want to hurt my lawyers that are working here. I don't want to hurt the other side and I don't want to hurt the clients. And up until that point, I saw that every time anybody got involved in a dispute, whether they won or lost, everybody got hurt. And it, and it does – as a lawyer who, you know, particularly a litigation lawyer, when you're doing that every day, it sure has to build up. I mean, it's the, there's this report done in America by the ABA, American Bar Association, that said that they did this sort of – study in a longitudinal study over 50 years um, they adjusted it for a whole lot of different factors and found out that your average lawyer loses 12 years of their life in america so the average lawyer with all of the same factors all the same health factors all the same areas whatever will will live 12 years shorter than the same person had they not been a lawyer and this is a big it was a massive study in fact anthony feo gave me the study because he was he was he was he, somebody passed it to him when he was working for for the world's biggest law firm over there in new york um, so you know, it's 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 just it's fact. You know, it, it takes it it takes a toll on people's lives. So I've been thinking about this, and you always go flying on Sunday mornings. Yep. Hannah just cuts you that time out. I, I'm thinking that that's just like a stress release, so that you can just you know let, yeah. let go of that pressure valve and just do something, be up there in the air, floating around the clouds. I, I've actually found it more pressure up there than I do on the ground. Really? <laughs> no, nah, not really. Sometimes. Turns out I'm doing. You do that, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's your yeah. relaxation. It's, it's for like me, playing it, golf like, for some guys, but you, you like flying. Yeah. I, I like pressure, but, I mean, flying an aeroplane and doing aerobatics is not, is not sort of like relaxing, but it is – it exercises a completely different side of your brain and your body, you know. So um, I'm just currently doing my instrument rating, which is quite a difficult thing to do from, from a flying perspective. And so I'll take, you know, block out sort of three or four mornings in a week and, and, and try and, you know, subject to weather and whatever, try and get that training in. And 
I'm reloading my head with a completely different set of skills. You know, this is navigation and weather and systems and, you know, it's a multi-engine. So we're talking complex in flying environment that basically you wouldn't do unless you were wanting to become a professional pilot. I do that because it's like, it's like having a bath in the sense it is totally different type of stress. It's totally different type of mindset. And, you know, there's obviously the sense of achievement, you know. So um, the things that I do to relax aren't really, you know, sitting in the bath with bath salts. It's like how do I expose my body and my mind to a completely different environment that's going to, you know, I come back after that and work feels fresh because, you know, um, it's just a, it's problems you don't solve as a lawyer, you know. Um, so that that's that, – that I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's relaxing, but I – I'm not really, you know, into relaxing so it, much, it if that makes sense. It achieves the same result that I was talking about, but from a different angle. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is, you know, it is fantastic. You know, if you're flying along along the coast at 500 feet, 700 you're feet. You're not thinking about your timesheets. You're right not thinking right. about your timesheets. You're not thinking about anything. You know, you're, you're, you're basically, you're, you're in a three-dimensional environment um, and it's complex, and it, but it's beautiful, you know, yeah. and that, that just, it's just a mind it just blows your mind in a different way and just clears all clears clears everything out. You know, I imagine you're just yeah. looking out the, the the window saying, "Oh, that just looks amazing." And yeah, look over yeah, there. Or, photos, you know, yeah. There's water down there, and <laughs> yeah. I, I know what it's like. I mean, it's just yeah. it, it's 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 surreal up there. It is. Yeah. And yeah. then when you come back down to earth, it's like you. Yeah. You know, it's different. You've been refreshed. Yeah. When I'm when yeah. I'm driving, usually usually call Hannah when I've come down. Not, not that she's worried about me, but I just sort of say, "I'm down. I'm safe. I'm whatever." And, and I'm, I can, I'm always driving along this little patch of road coming out of Aldinga and, and I just feel buzzed, you know. It's, it's, it's a complete buzz to have um, just, yeah, just got away for even if it might be an hour, but it's, it's a complete refresh, yeah. So I, I, and that's what I sort of encourage people I work with is that you've got to find those releases. If you're going to do anything like this, which is or like what you're doing as well, I mean, or, or I, let's face it, what everybody does these days, I mean, no, no one gets an easy ride. Um, you've got to develop... Um, when people talk about life balance, it's not about, you know, well, I don't know all the crap that life balance stuff people talk about. But for me, it's about, you know, someone who's going to be a good lawyer and a good accountant or a good doctor or whatever. They're not the sort of guys who are going to or girls that are going to just chill out on the weekends. Right. They, these are these are a types who are. And so when they're told to get life balance, which means, you know, chill out on the beach and, you know, whatever, that just stresses them out. Because it's like, well, how do I do that? I don't even want to do that, you know. So when I but I've talking, got to do it. But I've got to do it because people tell me about it life balance. So, you know, when I talk about life balance, people, I say, you've got to find something that's as challenging and as interesting and all-consuming as your career and you've got to make time for that, whether it's sailing, whether it's, you know, racing cars, whether it's flying, whether it's, you know, it could be bushwalking. I mean, it doesn't have to be physically you know, necessarily mentally challenging, but it's got to be something you can, it could be stamp collecting, you know, but you've got to be able to go into it as deep and as hard and as, um, you know, intensely as you do your work. That's how you get life balance. Um, and then on top of that, I'll just say, given what I've recently read, sleep, you know. So my view is I'm either asleep and I'm sleeping like a baby or I'm awake and I'm going hard at something. Uh, and that's how I, I'm comfortable with that as life balance works when, for me. When you climb to bed at 9, 9.30, whatever, which is relatively early for most people, I'd imagine, yep. are you just out like a light or do you have to do something, listen to a podcast and drift off with that and set it to turn off after 20 minutes or something? Yeah. Or are you... I, I, so I, I tend to sleep well, but I, having read, I've probably read three books on sleeping now, that the, but um, I have 
structured my sort of diet and exercise and, and whatever around encouraging sleep. So, you know, lots of magnesium, um, orange lights. I've switched to my phone and computer that goes on to that like night shift, the orange light stuff. Um, might read a couple of pages. Um, you know, don't eat for as long as you po- long as possible, you know, between. So, you know, I try not to eat sort of after six because that gives you a nice three hours so that you go into bed. The other thing is to, is to get cold. So um, humans... When you go to sleep, your body temperature drops significantly. I don't actually know what the drop is, but you, you actually can't sleep if your body temperature doesn't drop. So, you know, creating a cool room, um, not being too overdressed, not having, you know, too much, many blankets and dunas and stuff on your bed. So go into your bed, feel that coldness. So you actually want to feel uncomfortably cold when you first get into bed um, and make sure there's, you know, everything's blacked out. Um, and the other thing is to get up and go to bed at a consistent time. Particularly get up. Go to bed sometimes can't can't manage, but you should always get up at a consistent time because that sets your, your clock. So, was, so this whole circadian rhythm and <clears throat> multiple um, body clocks and stuff is is this um, uh, Walter Longro. This or long yeah, I think, anyway. This this professor who's sort of done a lot about a um, lot of lot of stuff in um, circadian rhythms and, and sleeping and that sort of stuff. So it's definitely worth having a read. That sort of stuff is quite quite popular at the moment. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's just deep enough for you. Yeah, no, it's perfect. It's, <laughs> it's really good. Uh, now, the, can we touch on the FileMaker Pro referral system? Yep. Now, last doesn't, time... It doesn't exist anymore. Oh. <laughs> well, we talked about it for five minutes in the last podcast. I was going to drill deeper, but... Well, what have you replaced it with? Because yeah, so you're big on referrals. You can quantify... This is leading yeah. in from the last time we had a discussion. You can identify who you need to be spending more time with. Um, yeah. Like, I think it's Pareto principle. Like, you know that 20% of your network of people will refer 80% of your work. Yep. So you invest. Is that just, it's not quantified with the computer system now? You just know who those people no, are? No, no, no. We've, we've gone another level. So basically, um, FileMaker Pro is, I don't know, you know, once again, whether you want to know the details, but it's an Apple database system. So it's like Microsoft Access. It's a, you know, it's meant to be a database that your average dude can program program whatever um so we we basically built our entire practice management system on filemaker pro i did that myself over sort of a christmas break and then when i um uh my my assistant she's um sort of become a power user of fmp so she she's sort of um tweaked it along the way um what the problem is that we've grown you know reasonable amount um and it was just too slow because it couldn't actually keep up so we've got 16 people putting time into it now which is and it records our time, it does our invoices, it tracks our referrals, it does a lot of stuff. So I decided about halfway through last year that we needed to basically re- take that, take all the principles of that, which we developed like a prototype and put it into a fully blown web app. So we, I engaged some dudes in the Ukraine um, via Upwork um, to to basically, and I thought, I, put, I think I put a budget initially of five grand and um, got a couple of responses and then... Um, so we've spent, I hate to say, but we've probably spent about 60000 so far. Um, but we, we went live with it three weeks ago um, and we call it AL Portal. And the concept is is that um, I've got a couple of fundamental beliefs and one is you've got to own your own data. So everybody, all the systems that are trying to sign you up for 15 bucks a month and 10 bucks a month and 100 bucks a month all want to own your data. And there's a lot of reasons for that which we won't go into. Um, but I've just got this obsession with owning my own data. I just, uh, you know, um, I think it's very important for longevity of a business. And so anyway, um, 
the reason we've gone to this thing is A, to make it quicker for, for the current functionality, but also we've called it AL portal because it's the portal through which we look and aggregate our data. And so we were aggregating data based on referrals um, and a few other things, but what we weren't linking is all the relationships between our clients. So whether they've got companies, trusts, super funds, whether they've got children, parents, um, you know, accountants, other lawyers, financial planners. So now we've got this structured data set where when we create a contact, we can link all these particular relationships, not just the referrer. Um, so, we, so when a client comes in, we can, we can do a quick refresh and say, okay, that's, the, that's who their kids are, these are the entities we've set up, whatever. The other thing it does is it aggregates all the email channels. So we've got 16 people receiving and sending emails in the firm. And if I come into a meeting and there's three staff who've been working with this particular client, I don't know what was, what was the last thing that was said. I'd have to go on all their emails or look at the file over. So what happens is the system scrapes all the emails across the whole firm and puts it into a like a Slack channel, but it's not Slack, it's our own internal system. So I can say the last person who spoke to them was 15 minutes ago. They sent an email about this. And I, that's all within the portal. So I can so the idea, idea is you look through the portal to the to your data. So another thing that it's we haven't got it integrated yet, but we're just doing it at the moment, which is uh, um, email marketing. So we send out through Active Campaign uh, bi-weekly newsletters, and we know when people open it, when they forward it, and when they look at it, when they you know all that sort of stuff. And that gives us a level of engagement. About first of all, we tag the newsletter. Let's say it's about Division Seven A, which is one we just sent out. That's going to be interesting to someone who's either an accountant or someone who's got a company, you know, so they've got a sophisticated group. So it's sort of that I would put them in the business bucket, but with sort of technical business bucket. We send out something about wills, we put it about in the private client bucket, whatever. And then when when I pull up a contact, like I pull up Kim, and it says um, this guy's got an engagement score of 5.7 out of 10, which means he's, you know, quite engaged with us. Um, that's based on how many emails have gone back and forth, how many entities and stuff, how much we know about you, how how you've interacted with our website, how you've interacted with our um, email system. And what we're looking to do is aggregate more and more data feeds into this. So Facebook, um, you know, how many mentions, Twitter, whatever we think is a relevant metric to get an overall score of how how relevant we are to you and what your what areas you're interested in. Um, we also use it for capacity planning. So previously we've sort of had a rough capacity planning through FMP, which is basically knowing you know, which staff are busy and what they want to do. With this system, it goes back and it looks at how many hours they've recorded you know, in the last day, week, month, how many open matters they've got, whether they're high, medium or low, whether we're waiting for someone to... Is this too much information? But anyway. No. So basically we've got a little dashboard that has little dials that, so that, that shows you know who's busy and who's not. So we can, when a new matter comes in, we can found it out to somebody. Um, they can also indicate what areas they're interested in within the practice. Um, we've integrated our price guide and quoting system so that um, we can track a campaign from when we put an article on the website all the way through to an invoice and work out um, you know, what's generated that revenue at the end of the day, where's it come from, who's been attracted to it. So it's about owning and understanding all of the data that's possible so yeah, that's been the, that's been the project for the last. I think the guy's been going for ten months now. So, so um, just to clarify, one issue that I've got in my office is if if I've been on a telephone call with a client and yep. I jump off before I pick up and take the next call, I like to make notes about what we've discussed. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's always updates to their situation. They bought a new car or they've had a baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. In, that's exactly you know, what sort of coffee they like when they come in. Absolutely, all that stuff. Yep. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
So I, I have that conversation and then they drop into the office two months later, I can dial up on my computer and there's a log of all the touch points that I've had with that client, Correct. including emails, yep. um, file notes, whether they've looked, opened your newsletter, out, whether it's been paid, inter- yep, whether they've opened up a newsletter. Yep. It's an aggregation of all your data. It, yeah. it's, it's all on that one page. Yep. That and sounds then, what I'm looking for. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I mean, I've been, I'm just scratching my own itches. I've been looking for this for a long time. You know, I, I do it in my own head, but I can't do it with 16 people. You know what I mean? Like, you got, how do you scale that particular? So basically, I'm about building systems which can scale how we're running the business. And so that's been, a, for me, that's been like my number one passion project at the moment. You know, I'm spending a lot of time and money on, because I just think it's a game changer. You know, oh, I do. Um, as well. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Because there's nothing more embarrassing than someone ringing up and, you know, you've missed one email in that chain, yeah. which is vital because it had some relevance. Oh, it exactly. could be just like an update of an email address or a yeah. phone number. Oh, That's yeah. just as important as yeah, telling yeah. Them you that they've bought a new property. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, yeah. And you've got to get the whole picture That's and, right. and yeah. familiarise yourself with it. And the client comes in and they're expecting you to know they've absolutely. got the super fund and you've got three companies and you've got two trusts and that you only set that up the other day and that they've just had an email. Like So... Um, I don't think if you if you want to give the right client experience because you're in the same business as me as far as you know private private client experience mm-hmm. we, the people who come to us spend good money for a personal experience and you know they're effectively delegating their structures and you know um, and major decisions about oh they, they want to buy a property and they say Kim well where should I buy the property and you go oh shit you know what well, I can't remember that whether you, has he got a trust has he what about a super fund oh I don't know you know whereas you just as they're talking you just bring up the contact and it's all and, and all of their entities that you've set up for them would be there you can click on it and you can see the last activity you did on that um, all the invoices um, what else have we got um, so I'm now going even deeper I'm looking for um, I've been searching through analytics like data analytics business in- intelligence BI systems data analytics I've I've spent like you know days looking at all the different systems. We're currently using QuickSight, which is part of AWS, which is where we host the system. Um, but you know, there's Microsoft BI, um, Power BI, which is their business um, intelligence system. There's Watson, which is IBM Watson, which is a um, business intelligence, artificial intelligence sort of data processing system. Um, there's just lots of them. I'm, um, I think it's is it Mode Mode Data. I'm looking at the moment. That's sort of currently. Um, what I'm looking for and um, part of that is to because I was getting frustrated with the programmers the coders because when I'd ask for a report they'd spend you know three or four days coding up a report for me and then it would be wrong and it wouldn't be you know I couldn't change the dates and stuff and I found that these systems you can basically connect it to your database and you can you can write your own sort of queries and make your own reports and make dashboards and publish the dashboards and stuff so that's so you can really so I was thinking from your perspective you would get the clients in and say okay um your data source, you've got zero, obviously, but you've also got other data sources, you know, where they might be in transport, they might be logging kilometres and whatever, which doesn't get into zero. And you're going, well, how do I give this guy a dashboard as to, you know, past indicators, which is a lot of what accountants do, current indicators, most businesses are run without any current indicators, but even forward indicators. So we track inquiries. So we know, we track how many telephone calls we've received today, um, how many website hits we've got because that's a lead indicator as to or how many matters that we've opened. So telephone calls and website queries are a lead lead indicator. That, that's, an, that's an indication of activity of interest now that might result in a job in three months. Opening a matter now tells me that anywhere between one and four weeks we're, we're going to be busy on that matter. So we're opening a lot of matters now. That's a, like a current to sort of short-term forward indicator. Um, how much we're actually billing is like a current current indicator. And then looking at how much we've invoiced and whatever, that's a historical, which is interesting, you know, from 
oh shit, we're going well, oh shit, we're not going well. Mm. Um, but that's you can't run your business that way from a capacity planning. So you want to you want to be gathering the data that's going to give you forward planning um, insights, if you like. Um, and you can't do that if you don't own your data. That's what I keep saying to people. You've got to invest in owning your data because if all that stuff was in Leap, which is what half of the law, law, small law firms use in Australia, you can't get that. They, they won't let you. The whole, their whole business model is not giving you access to your own data because they're using that to determine what's happening in the legal profession, what they're going to sell, how much they're going to charge you next year. Um, I just don't want to be part of that. Are you going to release this to the world at large? Potentially. I, everything I do, I don't base it on having to do that to get a return on my money. So, you know, Using it for yourself, and you will certainly pay for itself within 12 months' time. Yeah, well, sort of like Zoom Forms or Syntac, which is the document automation business that, that I got into about eight years ago. And that's cost me a lot of money, if not probably millions in cash. But we've got enough of a return on that using it internally. We're now, using, we're now selling it quite successfully to other law firms, quite major law firms. And, in fact, the Law Society in South Australia has picked it up recently. So other people are using it, but I didn't – if I was – it's not like a startup where I'm relying on other people no. buying that to, to justify. It. And the same with the portal, which is, we'll use that, um, and I'll, you know, w- would it be cheaper to spend, you know, fifteen thousand a year on Leap? Probably, but it's not as much fun, you know. So if I spend a hundred thousand on the system and then we use it for three or four years, it's got I've got my money back. If anybody else wants to use it, well, you know, that's up that's up to them. But I don't I don't need to 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 justify it. It, it sounds like it's got the hallmarks of something that an angel investor would be really interested in, because yeah. um, you've got you, you know you've you've looked extensively through the market and what's available. Nothing does. You, you think you, you think you think about Slack. You know what Slack is? It's yeah. this uh, it's this internet service, right? So everybody's all get, Slack's got like a you know six hundred million dollar valuation, and basically it's a freaking it's a messaging service, right? Um, but it's another messaging service. I'm not going to get all my staff on Slack and on email. And then when someone from outside the firm sends me a message, it is an email. How do I get onto Slack? Like it, mm. it's just a. Everybody wants a central um, information system, like you know where they can find out, commu- you know, in firm wide communication, but they don't want to adopt another system. No, exactly. And so uh, my view is, well, you know, Google's got an API. I can design a system that scrapes all, all the emails from people's. Gmail account, sticks it on a MongoDB database and I can just query it as ever I want. And I just say, well, okay, send me all the emails that have a domain name of, you know, um, nichkinancaro.com and that'll, mm. that'll, that'll put all of the communications from anybody in your firm in a feed. I can then say, give me all the communications that, that's got Kim at nichkinancaro mm. and I'll get all the communications where you've been involved in it personally. That's not rocket science, no. but no one's done it. It's gold. So, um, actually, I think people have done it. But how yeah. much will it be a month? I might be a guinea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can. What's the point? <laughs> um, uh, I'm happy for you to be a be a guinea pig. You can you can be a guinea pig site. Yeah. Um, it's now, also integrating with Zero. We're currently writing the. Um, so what? Yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll go. Won't go into any more details on that. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it'll. Yep. Uh, last time we touched on the price list. Yep. 167 page document. Yep. Um, I know it used to be on the website. You took it down because too many other lawyers were you know, replicating it, using it for themselves rather than yeah. being a source of information to new work coming in off the internet. Yep. Um, I just was overwhelmed. I sat down, I read it. I read it again last night. I, I think I, um, I could only get into about page 40 or 50. There was so much information and detail there that, you know, I, I know the benefits of having it, but, you know, no one does it. And mm. I think that it's been so useful for your practice 
in terms of getting rid of that bottleneck about pricing because no one could do pricing unless it was you. Yep. Now everyone can price and you win on some cases, you lose on others, you eat it if you lose, you readjust your pricing for next time. Correct, yep, yep. What my question is, how long does it take to write that? Are you constantly updating it? It seems like a document that you'd be up in the office till nine o'clock at night thrashing out the details on. Yeah. Is it that important? Is that what is it, that where yeah. we're going with fixed yeah. price? Well, it, it's actually gone even further than that. And this is a whole, we could probably do a podcast on this separately. Um, but basically we've changed its name to our offering guide. So we're sort of adopting a, a business system, um, which is sort of complicated. It's a whole different story, but um, it's actually become more and more central to our whole business. So we're now using it as, as the gateway. So if it's not in the guide, we don't do it. So if someone comes in with a question that we haven't seen before, um, rather than just what most lawyers would do, they go, okay, well, let's just start doing it. Um, we say, well, um, is it in the price guide or the offering guide? No. Okay, well, we don't do it until we've sat down and made a decision as to whether or not that's going to be part of what we offer the public. Right. So it becomes a gateway to the work we do. And the reason that is it constrains us to focusing on work that we actually have experience doing and that we know what's involved in doing and we know what it's likely to cost us. And it forces us to make a, a um, conscious decision about expanding what we do. So it sort of constrains the offering that we do. We also use it as a training guide. So now we say well, when a new lawyer comes on, we want them to have exposure to all of the offerings in that guide. And so we can use it as a checklist. So yes, they've set up a company. Yes, they've done a co-ownership agreement. Yes, they've done a partnership agreement, whatever. So we know where the skills gaps are when junior lawyers come up through the first two or three years so that we can give work to them to expose them to everything within our offering. We use it as a sort of a checklist. So within each thing it says setting up a company. This involves taking instructions from you, giving you a little bit of advice about whether or not the company is relevant, um, preparing the register, preparing the constitution, preparing the minutes, um, lodging with ASIC um, and a cover letter explaining what we've done. So that's the that, that would be the set the tasks that the scope of what we'll do when we set up a company we're taking a very basic example here mm. and so what it does is it when i communicate to you i can communicate the scope of what i'm going to do to you as a client do, do for you as a client and so what we're finding is it's just becoming more and more of a valuable document to actually run the whole practice through and then what we're what we're doing is and we haven't actually started this yet but on, on the roadmap for the portal is that we're going to put it into a database and then that database is going to be so when a new matter comes in, we go, Kim Nitschke, pull up the contact. What does he want to do? Set up a company, click, and it sends you off a engagement letter. It sends the scope. Um, we know what we're going to charge. That goes into the budget. Um, and then we you can allocate to it to a staff it. member yeah, who, who will then do that. And, and we know that they're trained. If they're not trained, then it flags it for review because mm. they don't. we know that they don't have the skills to, to sign off on it. Um, so that for us is becoming – we actually just spent – we just – um, spent a fair bit of time last few weeks um, updating it. So mm-hmm. um, again, but we're updating it all the time, um, and that was part of our. We have a, a week training session where everybody, so Sydney guys, fly in, and we spent a whole week just talking about and working on the business. That was that was a big part of um, understanding what each of the offerings are within the firm. So you know across the different practice areas. So yeah. it's become just just it's become bigger than Ben Hur. Yeah, well, <laughs> far out. That that suggests to me that. Um, I guess from my point of view, I need something f- similar for my business. Absolutely. And I've always <coughs> underestimated the importance and the reliance that can be placed on it 
But you can't scale without. And the other thing, you know, the, with, without you know, you sort of said what annoys you about lawyers, and I thought you were very nice about that because you probably could have gone on for about an hour. But one of the things that I find really difficult with accountants and, and particularly even financial planners, but I wouldn't don't really like to put you in the same bucket, but is that um, they say, oh, you know, I'd like a refer, you know, referrals and you know, because blah, 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 they're obviously giving us a lot of work. And I and I say, but well, just tell me what you do and tell me what market you're in, you know, the sort of clients you want and tell me what your price points are. So, I, you know, I'm not going to pitch you to somebody who's who wants a 800-buck-a-year accountant or, you know, you know, pitch someone else to someone who wants an 80 grand, you know, is happy to spend 80 grand on account. Like, you, and not once has anybody turned around and gone, I've comprehensively thought about this. This is the market segment of people I want from my accounting firm. This is what I'll do for them. And this is the budget they need to have in order to be one of my clients. That document alone, and you know, you could even do a video on it and stick it on freaking Facebook, which is what you do. I know that's why you've been successful, but you know, no one does that. No. Right. But you sort of think, well, how can I refer anything to you? How can I even talk about you when you don't even know what you're doing? You know, so and okay, it's right for me who's been bumbling around, you know, the legal business for, you know, a couple of decades, but you got a, a lawyer who's been out of uni for three or four years. This is invaluable to them mm. because it, it actually gives them something to talk about. They actually know what the parameters of what they're doing are. You go to most firms, you talk to a three, talk to a seven-year lawyer. They they still don't have any idea what the scope of what they do is. Um, so how can they how can they promote themselves at a networking event or at a you know the footy match? Um, so yeah, I mean for that that's for us that's been, um, and it's really you know. A lot of the things I'm talking about now only really dawned on me in the last you know, weeks, months, years. You know, when you, you sort of get a feeling, oh, I need a price. You know, everybody talks about fixed pricing. I wonder how I do that. Okay, well, you know, other businesses that have fixed prices, they tend to have price lists. Oh, well, maybe we need one of those. And then you start working. You go, what, what should I put in it? How should I structure it? Should I make it around, you know, an end-to-end thing like somebody wanting to start up a business? You know, they'll need a company and they'll need a shareholder agreement. They'll need this one. Or do I make it around practice areas, you know, tax or super or whatever and there's no right or wrong answer to these things it's just it's just an exploratory journey you know um but then for me you know particularly around the price guide which we're now as i say calling the offering guide it just clicked to me that this is actually def- this defines what we do you yes. think well shouldn't shouldn't that been obvious 20 years ago andrew like you know but but you know i managed to survive for for 20 years actually not understanding that I needed to define what I do, which is just bizarre. It almost seems as though it was a restriction to growth not having it. Totally, yeah, yeah. Like as soon as you actually put it out there and said, you know, I'm happy to nail yeah. this to the wall, this is who this we is what are, we this do. is what we stand for, yeah. and this is how much we charge, Yeah. that it was a light bulb moment and all your clients think, wow, we've now yeah. got an industry leader. Yeah. We're going to follow them. That's well, set the benchmark. There'll, there'll be clients who go, these guys are too expensive. Mm. And there'll be clients who go, these guys aren't prestigious enough. You know, that's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. And the other thing we've just recently done in the last 12 months is, you know, do the mission, vision, values, and that sort of stuff, right, which I've always scoffed at because I thought, you know, I've, I've tried it, I don't know, at least once a year for the last 20 years. Never really, it's never really gelled with me. Like, what is this all about? And whenever I've sort of come up with a vision, it's always been very narrow. So, you know, part of this um, process we've been going through is doing that process again. And we even started sort of thinking about how we run the business and I left that to one side because I thought, I'm just sick of that crap. Like, just, I don't even know what vision is versus value versus mission. I didn't even know what the definition of these things were, right? I know what you mean. But 
this time around, we've actually gone through it. Um, it's very simple, basic. It's a two-page document, but it's just become – it just suddenly has meaning. For, and maybe it's just about life where you just get older and certain things are relevant to you at certain times and not at other times. But, you know, a combination of thinking about, well, what are we actually doing? And then lining that up with why are we doing it? Who do we want to do it with? You know, what are the non-negotiables about working here and not working here? What are the non-negotiables about people we work with? Um, you know, one of these things has been about community. So, like, we, we want to treat whether it's the homeless dude out the front or whether it's the person who makes the cappuccinos around the coffee shop or whether it's, you know, our in-house count, you know, council that we use or it's the opposing person or, you know, we've made the decision that as a firm, everybody we come into contact with, we want to improve their lives. And that doesn't mean just the people who are working with us. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be soft when someone's being an idiot. But part of our job is to, we're not going to win a dispute by just keep on bashing someone over the head. You've actually got to get in their head and you've got to um, convince them of some sort of a resolution to it. Otherwise, you know, you just your client racks up fees, they rack up fees and everybody's miserable and goes, says, well, next time I have a problem, I'm not going to go anywhere near a lawyer. And it's probably a rational thing to think. So, you know, if we can take that community attitude and learn skills and develop and read stuff and talk about it to um to, to make a difference you know which all of these concepts really you know i'm a sort of an a type you know, i want to sort of go out there and rip things apart but you sort of do have to slow down and say well you know what are the what are, what are the characteristics or values that are going to make that happen um so we've been going through that it's been it's been great and i think you know the staff have enjoyed it and um Yes, it's been another sort of part of the journey. Can I get a copy of them? Are they documented? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've actually been thinking about putting it on the website. but So we've got a philosophy site section on the website and um, I put some stuff up there. You know, they're, they're called, with the tags and how I was saying we tag things, they're called AA rants because they tend to be when I just, when I just go off. But um, they're, they're, they're definitely there. And there's, a, there's a, one of the things that we talked about was the commoditization of knowledge and um, you know how that's happening within all the industries and what that means and what skill do you need to have to be able to manage that process you know as you go through life rather than being this, the victim of the commoditization of knowledge how do you actually manage the commoditization of knowledge so there was a big uh, that's one of the things i'm thinking about posting on the website sort of wrote something like that something on that a couple of weeks ago so yeah, it's been it's been it's fun yeah. um this question just come into my head um there's so many law graduates out there who can't get work I've yep. been sending the ones that come to me for counselling to you. Yep. Have you been getting any phone calls, meetings, or any? Uh, Have I, you heard I, from anyone? Potentially, I don't. I don't know. Okay. I, don't, I don't think a lot. I think there's maybe one or two okay. over the. Over well, the what over is your years. advice to those people out there that have put the hard work in? The, the you know, and I, and I could be wrong here, but I reckon there's two, three hundred law graduates in Adelaide who can't get a job. What would your advice be to them? Um. Well, as I say to the people who work here or start here as graduates, you know, I don't think there's a better time to, have been, to be a lawyer. Okay. You know? How do they get a job with you? I'm not saying that yeah. that's available. Well, what do you look I, for? I, I think it's a mindset thing. So that's sort of what, why, where I start. So, you know, um, they think it's a bad time to be a lawyer. They think there's a lot of graduates. They think there's no opportunities. They think that the, you know, AI is coming and all this sort of stuff and the world's ending and, and you know, um, and look, there's a massive challenges out there, but... Um, challenges are opportunities and so it's a mindset so the first thing I would say is um, look in the mirror and ask yourself 
do you believe that now is a good time to be a lawyer? And if your answer to yourself is no, then go and do something else. And if your answer is no, but you're not, you don't want to do something else, then start to find things and people and books and podcasts that convince you. So you look in the mirror and you really believe now is the best time in history to be a lawyer. Now, as soon as you've got that mindset and you truly believe it, and I don't know how you get there, but I sort of do, but I mean, you know, once you've taken the time to convince yourself of that, the next job interview you go to, you will get a job. And, and, and the way you write the letters will mean that you will get an interview because, you know, the, if someone comes to me and they say, um, I'm really excited about, you know, I want to be a lawyer, um, I'm excited about this, I'm excited about that, I'm worried about this, but this is a challenge. If someone said that, that to me in an interview, I would just say, like, dude, there's a seat. Like, just, you're done. You're, you're in. Go and, go and pull up a seat in the computer. Let's see what you can do. Because what they're saying to you is, I understand the industry. I understand the challenges. I understand the opportunities. I want to be in it. And, you know, give me a chance. But that's not how graduates are taught to present themselves. It's not skills that they're, um, you know, it's... Um, and yes, you got to get good marks, and you got to because that, that's good marks to me is a is an indication that you have got persistence. You know that you know that somebody wants good marks to get through the next gate. You know this is just basic stuff. But if you ask me, does good marks mean that you're going to be a good lawyer? I'd probably say there's no correlation at all, other than hey, they might have worked hard or whatever it is, or you know. Um, so for me, that's a real blunt instrument to work out whether someone's going to be a good lawyer. Of course, I use it. You know, I filter CVs based on marks like everybody else does, but. Once you've filtered it and you've said, okay, um, what's the? What, it, it's more important what they say in the letter. Um, so, for example, I, I was, you know, when I started, I was, went to Adelaide Uni, so Sandstone Uni. I was as arrogant as the next person. Um, in those days, you didn't, you wouldn't get an interview from any of the firms mm. in the city if you didn't go to Adelaide. And then Flinders had started up, and that was considered, you know, the hicks up in the hills, no idea. Um, you know, now you've got Uni SA. So I run what I consider to be a reasonably progressive law firm that does high-end work, well above, you know, punch above our weight, whatever the saying is. Um, I've now got three Wollongong graduates in our Sydney office, right? Now, I didn't even know that Wollongong had a university when I graduated, right? But they got jobs and they're doing really interesting work. And I think they're, you know, from what I can gather, they're very fulfilled and, and you know, working in, the, in Sydney, in the city, um, as I say, doing, doing interesting work. Um, because of the sort of things I'm talking about, the way, you know, what was in the letter, their attitude um, and, um, ha- you know, how they made contact. It was usually through some sort of a um, – so uh, all three of them came to me through someone else. Um, so they wouldn't necessarily have got an interview if the CV had come across in the and it said University of Wollongong. Now, by all, it's a bit embarrassing because we actually do a lot of work for the University of Wollongong now. Um, but, uh, you know, and I understand it's a great place, but – you know, this is this is the challenges that someone would face. It's not Sydney University, right? It was not UniSA or University of New South Wales. Whatever. So how does someone like that get in front of someone who's going to give them a city job or an interesting job? Well, you know, it, it, as I say, those three, three out of three, was through contacts. Okay, so a connection through, is a... A good. connection, but a connection that you've demonstrated that they can send them to me and I'm not... And then that's not going to embarrass the connection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, this person's persistent. They've got an in- area of interest in the law. Um, you know, like the last guy I hired, um, 
he left an existing law firm um, and two people who were sort of subtenants in that law firm both said to me, you should call this guy because I would give him work. So I called the guy and we've given him a job. You know, I've sort of met with him and whatever. But um, he wouldn't have, you know, he wouldn't have got the job otherwise mm-hmm. because he demonstrated every day when he was in that office that he was a dude who had a personality, who could relate to people, you know, who looked diligent, turned up, obviously looked right as far as, you know, wore the right clothes, you know, whatever it might be. Everything you do every day is important and it, and people are noticing and watching and that's that's just how it is. Uh, you're, you're sort of alluding to the fact that he did some work experience before you No, no, he was working there and then he left because he, he didn't like the environment. Oh, okay. I couldn't really blame him for that. He could, had a good reason. Right. So... Um, no, no, when he came yeah. and worked for you. No, no, no he's, an, he's a sort of experienced lawyer, so I just took him on as a lawyer. Oh, okay. just, Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Right. Back in the same office which he left, which is a bit embarrassing, but anyway, that's another story. Um, <laughs> in, in, in the last, this is my final question, and yep. we're entering on something which is a sort of like a hobby of yours, just, yep. you know, fun stuff. Yep. Watches, they all got yep. knocked off by the burglars last time. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, did you get them back? No, no. Okay. I saw one of them on a, in a magazine. Um, no for way. A, an advertisement for a second-hand watch shop. Um, oh and goodness. I rung them up and I said, dude, no, that's my watch. on the th-. And he said, oh, that's, that's sold, you know, came in and sold sort of, um, Months ago, whatever. Um, anyway, that was yeah. And then, it, is this Adelaide? Yeah, so, yeah, Adelaide, Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had your yeah, yeah. yeah just come in and out. Like obviously, this uh, is the eject seat one. No, no, no. This was the my Rolex that oh, I got okay. when I was eighteen. Yeah, so I knew it very well. It was, and it's quite a. It was a bit of a unique one. Um, so I was like, oh my god! Like I opened it, I was like, what? And. Um, but anyway, yeah. So no, the short answer is um, no, no, no joy in that. And you, so the, the talk was last time that you only had insurance that covered two and a half thousand or something yeah. on each watch that yeah. you stole. These were yeah. a hell of a lot more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So have you gone out and replaced it with something special? Uh, did I tell you the story about Dad's watch? Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's, so, you, so that's, that's what I got. So that's what you're wearing yep, every day. Wear, yeah. So I just wear that every day now. But I did, I did actually weaken and I bought a, a Breitling, uh, oh. which is, uh, but I, I probably didn't buy the right one. I bought. Well, I, I bought it the right one for me, so it's um, one of the um, the space ones. It's not not Bo Space, but it's um, um so yeah, it's one of the. It's actually the digital, which is a, a bit unusual for for sort of collectors' watches. Um, but it is uh, it, I, I use it for flying, so it's got um, dual time, and it does a whole lot of sort of computer functions that that you you actually do use when you're flying. So it's a bit of a I, was, I actually wasn't going to buy it until I got my IFR rating, but then it was on sale, which doesn't happen very often. It was in Sydney and we sort of, I sort of weakened. But, um, so, yeah, that's that's really the two. Um, I have looked at a lot since. Um, I like the, the Hulk, the Rolex Hulk. That's one. It's a green one. It's a bit unusual. Um, but I've, I've managed so far to uh, to hold off. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah. you've, you've uh, set it on a practical watch. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, that and Dad's, which has been, uh, yeah, it's just sort of nice. So don't really want to take that one off. All right, well, thanks ever so much for today. It's been fantastic. If you want to get in touch with Andrew, don't contact me like last time. Go to his <laughs> website, which is andreev.com.au. Andreev is spelled A-N-D-R-E-Y-E-V.com.au. Uh, I'm sure you can click on links and send him emails. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me, it's accountinginsider.net. Thanks for listening.